Yate, hello, and thank you for joining us today on Inside Indian Country. I'm your host, Wesley Benali, Principal and National Tribal Practice Leader for RDW and working out of our Phoenix office. Today, we'll be covering a variety of topics in the business valuation realm. The pandemic has forced tribal organizations to take a step back and analyze current operations to better their defensive strategies and create a fortress balance sheet to battle any future threats we just experienced. On the other, on the other hand, organizations going into the pandemic with strong cash positions now have plenty of merger and acquisition opportunities in front of them. These opportunities require significant financial due diligence, feasibility studies, and exit strategies if necessary. Today, I'll be talking with Brian Fulton, Principal for our Evaluation and Related Financial Services team. Brian has over 25 years of professional experience in business valuation advisory services, strategic planning, dispute advisory, and mergers and acquisitions. He'll be discussing current trends in the M&A market and considerations for strategy coming out of the pandemic. Thank you, and please listen to our conversation. Please don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the Inside an Indian Country podcast, your premier source of accounting and business discussions affecting Indian Country. Presented by REDW. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, on the treadmill, having a coffee, starting off your day, ending your day. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Inside Indian Country, and thank you for you know your time today. And we're going to be talking with Brian Fulton, a principal at RDW in our Valuation and Related Financial Services Department. We're going to cover a couple topics today that are pretty relevant to a lot of what tribal organizations and their enterprises are thinking about now. Now that we're, if you will, kind of coming out of the pandemic, it really opened the eyes of just you know, whether or not you, know, you want to think about opportunities that are out there as a tribal organization, or even maybe thinking about defensive plays, if you will. But Brian's going to here provide some, some good information on the mergers and acquisitions market, have some good, good answers to some questions on financial due diligence. But I think, um, you know, we're going to have a good conversation today. First, we start off, you know, what trends are you seeing in the mergers and acquisitions market as we begin the third quarter of 2022? Sure. Well, thanks, Wes, for uh, having me on your podcast. Uh, This is the second time I believe that we've been discussing uh, the M&A market and valuation and things of that sort. Uh, The first time that we started this uh, discussion was I believe, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and here we are two and a half years later, third quarter 2022. So we're seeing a lot of excess capital still out there. Uh, Private equity firms have what they call a lot of dry powder, and they need to deploy this cash in the form of an investment for their investors. So we're seeing a lot of people that seem to be immune to the pandemic. Um, In addition, sellers out there are aware that there's a lot of money that needs to be deployed and sellers are motivated. We're getting a lot of calls from our clients that are saying, well, I received an unsolicited offer. What do I do? Well, 
I'd have to say first, you don't receive an unsolicited offer unless you're kind of looking or unless you provide a potential buyer with some sort of information so that they know what to offer. So it kind of tells me that sellers know what's going on. They are looking to either capitalize on this excess uh, capital that's out there or they're had enough. The pandemic put a lot of pressure on them. They don't know what's in store and they're ready to get out. Uh, additionally, we're seeing unexplained valuation multiples, what buyers are willing to pay for a business. Private equity is still paying big multiples, but the, the lower market, which is also referred to as the Main Street market, the valuation pricing multiples of EBITDA, which is a metric of cash flow, that has dropped recently in the third quarter. It's right around the three point uh, three times uh, trailing 12 months cash flow. And you compare that to just before the pandemic, third quarter 2022, and that multiple was almost up to a six. So we saw the multiple cut in half. The last thing I would I would mention on what we're seeing is that there's all sorts of unusual, call it investment theses out there. We have buyers that are looking to not buy cash flow, but buy strategically. We have buyers with only exit opportunities in mind. They're not looking to buy and embrace and run a business. And then we have the private equity model out there where they're buying a platform they are then making smaller acquisitions, which are called bolt-ons or tuck-in acquisitions, and they build up this platform and they say they're, they're paying five or six times EBITDA for these uh, bolt-on or tuck-ins, and they build a platform to a large revenue and cash flow number, and then they exit at some sort of multiple above what they paid for. That's, that's interesting. You know, um, it's... It's kind of crazy how, I guess, if I were to take a step back now, obviously, Brian, I'm not a valuation expert, but if I were to compare it to my little pea brain, <laughs> really, what you guys talking about is that if I think about, you know, just the housing market, obviously, right, you know, especially the pricing there has been kind of, you know, crazy, you know, I live out in Gilbert, Arizona, so it's been, it's been pretty amazing how the market prices have been, you know, now it's taken a uh, a little different turn for some of those pricing, kind of more of a restriction, or what do you mean that? Is it compression, or you know? Um, yeah, the, the market is it's it's definitely oversaturated, and I even heard last night someone that works for one of the big online real estate brokerages or real estate agents, one of the largest that that you see online, and they're doing this massive layoff, so. Yeah, uh, the person I was speaking with uh, said that there were huge cuts to their their department. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. So you know, with all these you know these changes and you know um, these big turns in, in the mar market and whatnot, what do you, you know? And based on your observations, you know, what are you advising your clients for considering growth through acquisition? Sure. Well. Start with your investment thesis. What, uh, why do you want to make an acquisition? Is it is it to grow? Is it to 
make money? Is it to create job opportunities? Is it to assess new markets? Uh, once you have that, that investment thesis, then start early in your analysis, your assessment, your evaluation. Uh, look at the whole operation of a target. You're going to want to look at valuation. You're going to want to look at financial due diligence, tax due diligence, IT due diligence, HR due diligence, legal due diligence. And I guess I'll stop there because what is due diligence? Well, due diligence is anything and everything that has an impact on the decision. So start early. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. You know, you never want to go through something and just, you know, make a decision on it and hope for the best. You know, obviously, you always want to make an educated guess, you know, and talk about what you need to have in place. Get your attorneys involved. Not that you always have to, (laughs) but. It's definitely smart to now you know you talk about multiples and all this good stuff and um, ultimately it provides an ultimate value for an asset or for a transaction so in general how has valuation you know considerations changed during the pandemic i'm certain that it has it sure has well prior to the pandemic we, a lot of times we would look at a, a targets historical financial performance. And we would go through a due diligence process and try to normalize revenue and operating costs and cash flow and use that information to be better informed on what might happen going forward. So the past is used more as a a window to help us determine where we think the company is going. Because ultimately when you're buying a business, Uh, whether it's privately held or publicly held, you want to know what the business has done in the past. But more importantly, you want to know what it's going to do because you are buying future cash flows. You're not buying yesterday's cash flows. However, now that we're in this unusual period and we've gone through a pandemic, well, we're still in a pandemic, we have industry winners, we have industry losers, and we have to ask ourselves, how much is historical financial performance still relevant? Has the company or business or enterprise have a totally different outlook than what has previously happened prior to the pandemic? Um, So that takes a lot of digging and questions and understanding industries and things of that sort. We also have different metrics we may look at. Uh, Before, and I mentioned it right when we started, EBITDA, is a pretty typical valuation metric. It stands for earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's essentially a cash flow metric. While there were jokes throughout the pandemic that the new metric is uh, EBITDAC, E-B-I-T-D-A-C, so earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and coronavirus, meaning (laughs) are certain expenses here to stay, is certain revenue, here to stay, certain revenue not going to stay. Uh, we're seeing supply chain issues. It's, uh, I guess, as I said, when you start, we started this question, we're buying future earnings. So ultimately, how sustainable are earnings and how achievable is a forecast that the, the business is budgeting and uh, us as a potential buyer is, is expecting? That's a good point, Brian. Um, you know, Tribal organizations, 
and you know governments especially have seen unprecedented amounts of capital flow to the tribes with the you know the infusion of you know cares act and arpa now there's you know the infrastructure bill and you know there's a lot of funding through the department of treasury to help tribes really if you will get back on their feet and you know kind of move forward if you will but you know obviously that provides a lot of opportunity to you know employ capital into a a tribal organization's infrastructure you know that obviously is going to create some opportunities for private investors or companies to come in and you know ask questions on you know we can do this we can do that for you um and so as a as a, as a cfo or you know a decision maker you know it sounds like financial due diligence is more important now than ever could you talk a bit about the various financial due diligence tools an investor or you know even a decision maker at a tribe should employ to minimize any type of buyer's remorse Sure, good question. Well, as we said, there's a lot of strange times. Historical past performance may no longer be a good window into what's going to happen. There's a lot of things that are here to stay and a lot of things that may go away. And so financial due diligence is 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 key. It's a, a way to try to minimize buyer's remorse, as you said. There are traditional financial due diligence techniques, and those typically consist of quality of earnings, a balance sheet analysis, and a working capital analysis. If you think about value or valuation or what you're going to pay for a potential target, uh, you have cash flows, future cash flows, and this valuation multiple, but you also have what's on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do they have liabilities? Do they have assets? Things like that. So when we start with the quality of earnings, We're trying to see if the historical earnings are accurate, if they're sustainable, and if they're achievable going forward. So quality of earnings is going to look more at cash flow. Uh, Balance sheet analysis is going to look more, obviously, at the balance sheet, as the name implies, but it's going to look for unrecorded liabilities or overvalued assets. Because, again, there are two components that make up value. There's cash flow and there's your balance sheet. When you look at those two components together, though, the cash flows and the balance sheet, you have something called working capital. And working capital is the amount of, call it money or current um, near liquid assets that you need to leave in the business in order for the business to operate. And so this working capital, this is a, a, a huge litigation magnet because a lot of people don't understand it. You have sophisticated buyers who do understand it. And they're going to make sure that there's enough working capital or try to even maybe take advantage of a potential seller on the working capital. You can think of it as if you're at, at, at a restaurant and you order a pizza and the server brings you the pizza, but you're missing a slice. Mm-hmm. You're not going to pay full price for that pizza. You may not even want to eat it. Um, but that's kind of working capital. And so this is a way it's, it's almost a mechanism where the buyer and seller can adjust the purchase price up or down, and it's it's getting into the details. Um, so those are the traditional financial due diligence tools, but there's also operational, call it, um, due diligence tools, and these are important now more than ever. Understanding the management team, 
something that we like to advise our clients is take a look at management's response to this pandemic pandemic crisis, uh, seeing how they reacted, seeing what was done to to keep the business afloat during the pandemic. Uh, it's a it's a great window into management. Additionally, you want to understand the seller's motivation to exit. Is it a distress sale? Are they near retirement? Do they have adult children that don't want to go into the business or are disputing? Um, and and I guess finally, the look for creative deal structures. Those are those are popping up too because those again are going to be litigation magnets where you have deals where they're say a buyer is uncertain if something is going to be achieved or not, and they're going to create earnouts or some sort of contingent purchase price. And so that's going to ultimately reflect the purchase price. So all these type of, uh, we'll call it non-traditional due diligence items really need to be considered. That's a, that's a good point. You know, it, I guess in, in my, my mind, I guess it kind of sounds like that's a, if you will, kind of like a defensive strategy, you know, if, if an investment opportunity comes to you and you're, um, really weighing in on making sure that what you do business is on the up and up, if you will, you know, at the end of the day. Now, what if you were, uh, you know, a tribal CFO or, you know, a decision maker, tribal council, and you're, you're wanting to be, I guess, not be more of the off- offensive, if you will, and, and say, okay, we either have an asset that we want to see what we can do to generate more cash flow from it, or, we have an opportunity to acquire another asset that we think it could um, generate more cash flow for us. So I, I guess in my mind, you know, Brian is, you know, could you possibly maybe break down in that case then would be, you know, financial due diligence. And is that the same as a financial feasibility study? Sure. So sounds like what you're asking, Wes, is are are there tools for uh, tribal CFO to, to evaluate their options to determine whether they're what the return on the investment might might be? Is it worth moving forward with an investment? And that is a financial feasibility study. Um, so far up to this conversation, we've only discussed financial due diligence, and that's confirming before committing. Uh, but financial feasibility studies, that's a little different. And we kind of look at that um, as a management planning tool here at REDW, where we evaluate the various options that would be available to uh, an enterprise or to management or a tribal CFO to make uh, a more informed decision about whether to move forward or not. Uh, a perfect example would be a, a, a project we have right now where there's an existing enterprise and the client is wanting to know, do they expand that existing enterprise and upgrade for uh, X millions of dollars, or do they open another, an additional location at a different site for Y millions of dollars and want to know what's the return on the investment, the payback period, just kind of looking at it as more of a tool for them and the board to decide do we want which option might be better for us. 
that's definitely a good point. You know, um, you know the, the pandemic's you know changed a lot. You know, some industries, you know, more specifically those in the service industry and hospitality industry. So they really had to rethink a lot about, you know, whether or not they're going to continue pre-pandemic levels or, you know, even some cases they've experienced surpassing pre-pandemic levels, which is, you know, amazing as well. But, you know, now that things are normalizing, if you will, to whatever normal means now, you know, should should these uh, returns make sense? But, you know, let's move on to this last piece is that. So this is a <laughs> so I have a friend. This this kind of ties into it. I have a friend who goes on blind dates here and there. Right. <laughs> and he you know, kind of talks to me. I'm here at the office. We talk a little bit. And so we, you know, it's, he kind of tells me, he goes, yeah. So one thing I got to tell you is that if you ever end up on a blind date, always have an exit strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of laugh about that, you know, and you kind of translate it to, you know, our discussion here is <laughs> with respect to um, the uh, transaction world that you live in, you know, so should a buyer also start thinking about an exit strategy before the deal even closes? Oh, good question. And good thing I don't have a sister that's available. <laughs> um, no, you should always have uh, an exit strategy in mind, and that kind of goes to full circle to what we started our conversation with is what is the uh, investment thesis? Is it to make money? Is it to grow? Is it to get into a competitor's market? Is it to, to buy and exit? And so there's lots of different ways or objectives to, to think about succession, and each one comes with uh, benefits and 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 challenges. So if you want to, for instance, maximize value of your enterprise when you look to divest, probably sale to a third party like a private equity firm might be the best bet. Uh, if you wanted to say preserve the culture or continue to serve a specific client or population, uh, sale to a third party like a private equity firm who's there to typically maximize profits uh, might not be the way to go. Um, are there family members involved that want to get into the business or start buying or getting gifted equity? So that kind of goes to legacy. So there's lots of ways to, to think uh, about the objective to exit, but you should really have that in mind on why you're getting into an acquisition. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is it does have to do with exit, uh, not so much in a positive way, but um, something that I think is is worth just spending a few seconds on and bringing the list, bringing to the listeners' attention is uh, bankruptcy. And there is a newer, uh, newer as in around beginning of 2019, uh, a new form of bankruptcy called Subchapter Five, and Subchapter Five is a is a subchapter of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And this was designed to make sure that, that smaller businesses uh, defined as Main Street businesses have the same opportunities as large businesses um, when, when they're having issues uh, making creditors payments and whatnot. And so 
there's part of the Small Business Reorganization Act of 2019 is the subchapter five filing. And if you meet some uh, three or four buckets of criteria, meaning that you have a business or an enterprise, you have a certain uh, level of debt. Uh, right now, the level of debt is seven and a half million dollars or less. And that debt is, I think, 50% associated with the business. You can file subchapter five. And what that means is you can retain the equity of your business and you can continue to run it as you try to uh, reorganize, form a plan and, and get your creditors paid off so that you can continue working. And this is a, a, a great opportunity for small businesses that are distressed and having trouble making uh, payments uh, during during these challenging times. So uh, I definitely just wanted to bring that up as a. Uh, uh, you certainly wouldn't want to go into buying a business thinking that you're going to file bankruptcy. But if any of our listeners do uh, have businesses, enterprises, and they are distressed, put such after five on your radar. Hmm. Good point, Brian. Good point. Thanks for that information. You know, as we as we come to a close to this you know discussion today, a lot of great points you made on opportunities to you know. Purchase assets, or really think about what are your goals, you know, for the for the future, and, and creating value from an asset, whether or not that's cash flow, or maybe in some instances, especially in Indian country, where you know some tribes keep a business around to maintain jobs, you know, and and so maybe one thing you can get back today to your listeners, Brian, is uh, what is one thing they can they can take away with this you know, from our discussion was one thing that you feel like out of what we discussed would be important for a listener to to take away from our discussion today sure. other than having an exit strategy <laughs> before applying date <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, i'm not giving any dating advice today but uh start early plan um develop a reason why, what is your investment thesis, and know that there are tools out there to help make more informed decisions. And you can get these tools through REDW or other accounting firms or advisory firms that uh, focus on M&A. Um, and I would say if that's something that, that sounds good, make sure uh, you do your due diligence uh, when selecting the appropriate firm that they have the, the appropriate experience, the appropriate uh, team members, and yeah, and 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 we're here to help um, and happy to, to have any conversations or discussions. If any of our listeners are um, interested in, in learning more or having a discussion about a potential opportunity or even a potential exit. Thank you, Brian. You know, I think that's um, good information. You know, for those of you listening, if you're finding yourself in the the situation where you know you're thinking about possibly purchasing or entering into a transaction with a third party and you're trying to identify first steps you know reach out to us you know it's it's simple enough just to have a conversation and talk about some specific points you should be thinking about as you move along the process you know once again just stay in contact and you'll be more than willing to help but for that you know thank you brian for your time and um you know we'll We'll be talking soon. Thank you for listening. We hope this time has benefited you. 
For more information or to connect, please visit redw.com.